Well, listen, as we head into the new year, I wanted to kind of set our course for the new year. It's important to have a vision in front of us, that's for sure, amen? And uh, if, if we don't have a vision, then we're, we tend to wander. And so as we move into the new year, I, I figured it'd be good for us to, to get our focus about what Gateway Church is going to be um, doing in the coming year more than it has possibly in its former years. Uh, we tend to um, emphasize the things that we focus on. We tend to accomplish the things that we're focused on. Amen? And the, the things that, that are necessities or the things that we establish as priorities, we find ourselves focusing on a lot more than those other things that we don't see as our priorities. And so I think it's very, very important for us to focus on the things that was Jesus' priority so that they are our priorities where it comes to our following Christ, where we're, we're living out this Christian walk. We call ourselves Christians. Well, that means little Christ or Christ-like. And so it's important for us to have the right priorities so that when we are going about our day, when we're at work, when we're at our home, as the scriptures say, when we're in our uh, paneled homes or we're out in the, uh, amongst folks in the, in the marketplace and in the workplace, that they see those priorities shining through everything else we're doing. Can you say amen? And so with that, I think, you know, the, the greatest scripture that calls uh, us to account of keeping those priorities straight is found in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. And it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says, where there is no revelation, the people perish. Where you don't have a word from God, we perish. If we don't have a clear word from God about our lives and what we ought to be doing, we find ourselves wandering and therefore perishing in life. Things uh, may go good in a sense of worldliness, but they may not be going good in our spiritual walk with God and in our witness with others of who God is in his character. And so it's important for us to have a word from God to guide us in life. And that doesn't just mean one word. That means keeping the word of God as a whole before us. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Share it all the time. Why? Because if we know where we're taking and setting each step and we can see the path that's before us, then we're not going to arrive at our destination wondering where in, the, where in the world we've come to. We know exactly where we're going, and we know the sure footing of each step we take so that we arrive exactly where God has called us to be because we trust in Him and we look to His Word for guidance in our life. Amen? And so uh, that word vision there, it's, it's very important for us to see uh, the Hebrew word there is kazon. Say that with me, calzon. <laughs> it takes a little bit to, you know, get the confidence stirred up there. Calzon. Oh, we're almost there. Calzon. Oh, we're almost there. Calzon. Oh, almost there. You've got to have the intensity in it. Calzon. Perfect. You won't forget it, will you? <laughs> Here's what calzon is. A dream, a revelation, a vision. Now, 
in your notes there. If you have a vision for life, it'll bring focus. If you have a vision for life, it'll bring focus. If you're clear on what God's saying, then you don't have a problem being focused on what you need to be doing. The next one, a vision for life will bring endurance. If if you're clear on what God has called you to do, if you're clear on what God is saying, no matter what comes your way, even though you may feel tired or weary from time to time, you know that the scripture that says, if you do not grow weary and you're well-doing in due season, you'll reap if you do not faint. If you don't quit and you keep going, what's going to happen is, is, is you come into that place, okay, it doesn't look right, it doesn't look like things are lining up, but God, I'm going to wait upon you. And the Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall... Uh, walk and not faint and run and not grow weary and and what ends up happening there is is that you find yourselves being lifted up by God's power not your own strength see when you're weak all of a sudden you start to see God's strength coming through and in your weakness all of a sudden God is made strong why you can't look to yourself anymore your vision is bigger than you and when your vision is bigger than you it gives God a reason to move when your vision is bigger than you, when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that, you know what, I just can't do this by myself, you tend to look for help. And I'll look to the hills from whence comes my salvation or comes my help. I, I will look to God for my help, not within myself. And I begin to pray. We find ourselves on our knees in moments like that. I say that, that, that we wouldn't find ourselves weary if we keep our priorities straight. Most of the weariness in my life has come as a result of not keeping the priority of God first. This situation or that situation or this person or that person begins to distract me from keeping God first, keeping my time with him first. When he is first, what happens is is he's the one going before me. And then if I get concerned about what's coming up behind me, guess what? He's coming behind me too. He goes before me and he's my rear guard is what the scriptures say. And so when we come to that place of looking to God that way, a vision, will also for, a vision for life will also bring fulfillment. We don't, we don't have to look to those things that, that make all the promises of, of making life easier or making us happier only to come to the conclusion that they don't. You know, all you got to do is, anybody else hate commercials? I mean, I hate them. <laughs> you know, you're, you're in the middle of a good movie or you're watching football and here comes the commercials. And what do they do? They're promising that this is, you know, it's even like the magic pills that promise that this is going to deal with that situation in your life. And then comes the other 20 things that it's going to cause. You ever notice that? It's like, this is going to do this for you. Nice and slow very convincing and then comes the Michael's you're going I can't even keep up with all those things right the mumbling of life be clear about where you're going be clear about where you're going and I promise you you'll find greater fulfillment in your life nothing that comes that begins to try and distract you will cause you to turn to the left or to the right you'll keep yourself straight upon the road of the Lord. I think it's important to understand that when we get a vision or we hear the word of the Lord, that 
it's for his glory and not our own. If, if we recognize it's for his glory and not our own, then we're okay when things get a little bit tough. Why? Because I know that I know that I know if I honor God, I don't have to worry about God honoring me. I know that I know that I know if, if I keep God first, I don't have to worry about whether or not God's going to come alongside me and assist me in life. Amen? And so Ephesians 1.11 says this in the message, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. In everything and everyone. The whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is working his will in this earth. And for those that would yield their life over to him, he's working his will in them. There are some who stand in stark contrast, who, who, who find their, their, their selves working against God. I'm not going to go God's way. Being like the, the first man, Adam, like our father Adam, the father of our flesh. Adam versus the father of the spirit that, that Jesus himself that when we are born again we are born again of spirit and what happens is the second Adam redeems us from the curse of the law of sin and death and brings us into the marvelous light of his glory his love and his grace at work in our lives but we've got to be willing to willing to yield our will over to him and go his way amen Ephesians 2 10 says this for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance. It was God's work for us was before we were even made, before we even formed in our mother's womb. He knew us and he ordained us. He set us apart for a purpose. And when we recognize that, what happens is, is we find if God says that, then I need to set myself to discover, to find out what that purpose is so that each step I take has meaning in it each step I take is another step towards God's fulfillment of his will in my life and when I do that here's what I know the footsteps of a righteous man or woman is ordered of the Lord and when I'm yielded to him I don't have to worry about the steps I'm taking because I know that God is ordering each step one foot in front of the other when Elijah was born I first held him in my arms my flashback and and one of the most amazing things is I, I think about being that nine-year-old kid being beat by my stepfather not having a home that was functioned so dysfunctional so out of order so abusive and at nine years old I can only associate it with one thing this man would not treat me this way if my daddy was here because I didn't know my daddy he's gone disappeared but at nine, I'm making a promise to God, if you give me a wife who will love me and never leave me through anything, that I'll give him my life. And he gave me that at 19 years old. And at nine years old, thinking thoughts like, I just want to be a good father when I grow up. Why? Because I wanted one so bad. Do you see that even then, in those hardships, in those hard things we go through in life, what I did not realize is as a little kid, that that that... that what God had prepared before I was ever formed in my mother's womb. Did God want me to be abused? Absolutely not. But when it, when it came, it didn't matter. 
That didn't matter. It hurt me. It mattered to me, but it does not matter to God in this sense that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when we see that, all of a sudden, I can flash back and look at that moment. Was I seeking after God or was God getting a hold of the heart of a little kid? I say that God was getting a hold of the heart of a little kid. Why? Because the scripture says that no man seeks God. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And that the Spirit of God is in this earth, and he moves upon the heart of man and child, and what he does is he draws them to himself. And that in that situation, God was drawing me to himself, and and believe it or not, revealing purpose. Revealing destiny. I just want to, I want a wife. I I mean, nine-year-old kid thinking about, I want a wife. Not, not really normal. I mean, you know, thinking about going out and playing ball, you know, going out and shooting a BB gun, you shoot your eye out. Y'all saw the Christmas story, I'm sure, a few times this Christmas season. It plays over and over. But no, there I am, right smack dab, in that place of where there's the wrestling of my feelings versus God's will for my life. And God is unveiling. He's, watch unveiling, uh, give me a tissue. Where there is no vision, the people perish, right? Where there is no vision, say that with me. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What it means, a vision or a revelation, a revelation is this, that that you don't know, if, if you didn't know that I had a hand, you wouldn't know if there's a stub under here or if there's fingers under there. You would guess that, but the moment's unveiled, you see all five. Well, God's purpose is the same way, that what happens is, is, is that we're going through life, and the Spirit of God is at work in this earth, and, and make no mistake about this, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to everlasting life. Now, do we believe that? Say amen if you believe that. Okay, if that's God's heart, then trust me in this. His word will not return to him void. It will accomplish that which he sent it out for. Now, we could say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. By what? By the word. (laughs) By the word. When we go and read the word, we realize, man, I fall short. It's not until we realize that we fall short, not until we have the unveiling, not until we have the revelation that without Christ in my life, I will perish. And when I come to that place of realizing that, I once was blind, but now I see. And flesh and blood, I could preach, we can share, we can speak, we can do all those things, witness to one another, but the reality is until the Spirit of God gives you a revelation, your heart doesn't come to that place of saying, without Christ, I'll perish. And it's in that moment that then the purpose of God begins to work the way God intended it to work in our life. Why? Because now we've aligned ourselves with him through his son, Jesus Christ. So our purpose in that sense is very important, recognizing that we have been created. We're his workmanship, created for good works in Christ. Now, if it offends you that that God created you to work for him, 
you got to deal with it. See, when, when you're, here's the deal. When you're in that uh, workplace and there's a guy that's cussing over in the corner or this person over here that just has no respect for anybody or maybe it's just you, you know, and you're dealing with those kind of things, you have an opportunity to be a witness of the kingdom of God. Amen? And see, in that moment, you may not like that God created you, right? You're his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. When it, when it comes to that moment of somebody who's wronged you and can you forgive them? It's in that moment that you find out whether you're okay with the fact that you've been created and you're his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. And that to forgive another is the work of Christ through you to manifest in the life of other people. It just may be that that forgiveness becomes the very revelation in that person's life that unveils the purpose of Christ for them. That they see you do something that isn't like other human beings, that all of a sudden they're going, that's just, people don't do that. They just don't do that. No, but Jesus in me does that. Come on, folks, you're awful quiet. you got to say amen once in a while. Is this good or not, you know? Okay, all right, good. Here's what I want you to do. you got a line there on your page. I want you to take a moment to write down a few things that mark your priorities for the coming year. You're coming up on the new year. Most people start to think about things they want to change or do. I'd say take that sheet, take a moment, and just write down maybe three things. You know what? I want this to happen in my life. I want God to do this. I want God to do this. And I want to do this for God and so on and so forth. Just take a moment and do that right now. you're not writing it down just get it in your mind some things that you know what God I want you to use me this way I want to honor you this way I, I would like to see this change in my life whatever that may be the next steps we take in this message is very important to connect with that okay you can continue to write those things down and uh, I'm going to move on, but uh, as I'm preaching, if something comes to your mind, write it in that blank. As a church in the coming year, I believe the Lord has impressed that we should focus on crowning others with honor. Not that we shouldn't have been doing it, but I believe the emphasis that we need to have as a church is to look around us, wherever we may be in our day, wherever we may be, work, school, church, wherever we are, that we would look for opportunities to crown others with honor. I was reading a book, and it was referring to uh, doing ministry as a team in a church. And it talked about the importance of, of making circles and having a few people in that circle to where you do things together. And you work together to establish those things as God's laid on your heart. You think about it, Jesus sent them out two by two, right? Jesus himself had Peter, James, and John in his inner circle. Isn't that correct? Give me an amen if you know that. Okay, 
you had that inner circle, and then he had the 12, and then he had the 70, and then there's the 120, and then all of a sudden, boom, multitudes. What was that all about? That was all about unveiling. It was all about bringing a revelation. It was all about providing, if you will, vision for people so that they wouldn't perish. So that they would have purpose and recognize the purpose of God in their life. And so, so as we come into that, I think crowning others with honor, I wanted to read Psalms 8, 4 through 5 to you and understand that God has, has acted this way towards us. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. To think that God crowns us, that God in a sense, glory and honor, that God sets a crown upon us of glory and honor. The question is, can we then in turn, what did we do to deserve God crowning us with glory and honor? Absolutely nothing. But what Christ did for us allows God, through his sacrifice, to crown us with glory and honor. That's why when, whenever we're anywhere in, a, in, 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 in society and we're around people who may not know the Lord or have a, a loving relationship with Christ they don't know about the kingdom of God and they behave in an ungodly manner at that point we have an opportunity to display the love of Christ and crown that person with glory and honor even though it may not look like they deserve that and how can we do that because we can look at ourselves. all we got to do is look in the mirror and realize this the mirror of God's word reflects that I don't measure up either and yet God the maker of heaven and earth chooses to crown me with glory when I did nothing to deserve to be crowned with glory. When I know that, then it's not as hard to look at people that, that others might you know, push away. The outcasts, if you will, of, of our society and say, you know what, I want to crown them with glory and honor. God, would you show me how I can reach that person, how I can speak into their life, how I can do some kind of act of kindness or meet a need and crown that person with glory and honor. Now, to understand that, I want to read the, the, the word honor to you. The, the definition of it is this, honesty, fairness, or integrity. In one's beliefs and actions, a source of credit or distinction. Can any of us take credit for our salvation nope all the credit goes to christ here's the interesting thing about god crowning us with glory and honor is that we have to keep in perspective that he gave it to us and therefore we return it to him and the greatest way that we can return glory and honor to god is by carrying out the mission of christ in this earth sharing him with other people crowning them with glory and honor See, someday when we get to heaven, here's what's going to happen. We're going to receive a crown. Many of us will receive, obviously, the, the crown of salvation. If you've given your life to Christ, you, you have the crown of salvation, or known as the, the crown of rejoicing. But, but when you think about it this way, that when you get to, to heaven, there's a possibility of five crowns that you will uh, receive from Jesus. Five crowns. Now, they're not necessarily physical crowns. I mean... Uh, we see a lot of metaphors, we see a lot of uh, uh, illustrations, if you will, in Scripture. And the, the Scripture says that when we get to heaven, we'll cast our crowns at his feet. In other words, 
for, the, for all the crowning of honor and glory we've received, we throw back at his feet. And that's about where ours measures up to, right? It might come to his feet. He's always higher. The Bible tells us that there are at least five different crowns that God will give some of us who have accepted the gift of salvation. Each crown will have different, a different honor and recognition that comes with it. For us to receive a crown, we need to be willing to crown others with honor and glory, honor and dignity. Please understand when I'm speaking of these crowns, I'm not saying that your works achieve salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But everything else, all of our works, the Bible says there'll be wood, hay, and stubble, or there's silver, gold, sardis, and jasper, precious stones, if you will. That, that, that all of our works will be tried with fire. It's, a, it's like we're standing before God and here's our works and whoosh, the wood, hay, and stubble burn up. And the precious works that we've done, and trust this, those will be the works where we recognize that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's where we've put our hand to that purpose. Those things will remain and the rest will be consumed with fire. The concept of the crown, if you will, crowning with honor, originates from the cap or the, uh, 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 the turban. Or more formal, the metallic crown that was decorated with jewels, its placement on the head of one indicated that they were set apart. That they were set apart for a specific work. Another term uh, for crown in the Old Testament, the, the word there, atara, it, it indicates the presence of, of honor in some cases it pictured the reception of honor because one entered into a special position you, jeremiah the prophet again that before you were formed in your mother's womb i ordained you a prophet and set you apart as a prophet to the nations jeremiah is no more special than anyone sitting in this room he's special because he's in the bible and he was a prophet in the bible but all the words that were spoken through him were for our benefit all the examples we read in scripture for our benefit and when we understand that what happens is we recognize that God has ordained us for a specific work and it's important for us to fulfill that do you know that Jeremiah didn't want to fulfill his work did you know that he was known as the weeping prophet he didn't want to fulfill his work because he's going and saying things people didn't want to hear because it's much different than sharing the gospel in this day and age age when you go and you share the gospel you know are people like yeah i want to hear this some people are open to it but as a whole our society is not open to it we live in a time that looks much like the time of jeremiah decadence sin is rampant sexual sin is 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 lifted high as being okay and 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 to live holy or to live pure is something that's considered uh to be you know goody two shoes or you think you're better than everybody else or so to be pure is is looked down on in our society it's not different than jeremiah's time it was the same thing it's part of why he wept is his heart was broken over the state of a lost people and i say that our heart needs to be broken over the state of lost people around us so that so that there's a burden there now, here's, here's the other thing. Jeremiah, the words he would speak, he's kind of like, he's not going to speak them. And all of a sudden, it comes to a place of Jeremiah just can't keep quiet any longer. 
He, he actually refers to it as being like fire shut up in his bones. And the next thing you know, he starts prophesying and dropping the word of God. But here's what we know. The words that Jeremiah spoke, though everybody in his generation may not have turned, those words ring true even today. Those words, that, that, the word of God that came through Jeremiah the prophet will not return to him void. It will accomplish that which he sent it out for. You know what? It accomplished what God sent it out for in that generation, the generation after. You go to Daniel, they're all in exile, and guess what? Guess what? Daniel is quoting Jeremiah and saying, I understood by books and by number that, that, that the prophecy spoken by Jer- uh, the, the words spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, that they were coming to pass. We live in a time now when we can reflect on the fact that all of these spoke of the Messiah would come. They all spoke to the fact that one day it would all come to an end. And the thing is, is we preach the gospel. It becomes like fire shut up in our own bones. If we really are convicted of what the word of God says, we understand that every person out there that does not know Christ will perish. Will be in hell if we don't take upon ourselves a responsibility to recognize we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we have to display those works. We have to share the love of Christ with others or they won't come. You know, the Bible also says that we'll get to heaven and where we had those opportunities and we didn't seize them, that the blood would actually be on our hands. Say, Pastor. No, not good enough. Say, Pastor. You're preaching awful serious today. You know, the more I watch what's going on in our society, the more I realize the cure for that. There's all kinds of solutions offered up of how to get kids out of violence and drugs, how to uh, keep families from being divorced and torn apart. There's all kinds of different things thrown around that this will do it and that will do it. What has come around will come around again, but this is the one thing I know. He's the Alpha and the Omega. His word is is sure and it is true. Yesterday, today, and forevermore, God is the same. If you go and study history at all, we're not dealing with different things. We're not dealing with different situations than what they dealt with. We might be in different times and they might look a little different by, you know, our circumstance, but they are not different with regard to the issue. The true issue is sin is a disease that runs through any society. And the only hope for it is for mankind to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ to come to know God and to allow themselves also to live life according to his word. I say allow. It's it's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. It's yielding our life over to him over and over and over again every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Why? Why does his steadfast love never cease and why does his, his, his mercies never come to an end? Because it's new every morning, but, but the reality is it's new every morning because we need it every morning. Do you see that? 
We need it every single morning so that we can continue to do good works in Christ. Uh, What keeps people from a place of honor? It's simple. Shame. Shame is what keeps people from a place of honor. Listen to this. The painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, etc. Done by oneself or another, if you will, uh, he or she has to overcome shame. Shame is a painful feeling caused by those conscious acts that are made that go against the very way God created us to be. We might have a sin nature that we've been subjected to, but the reality is this. God didn't create us that way. He didn't make us that way. And inside of every single human being is a desire for the void that only God can fill to be filled. And until it's filled, we deal with that shame. People deal with it every day. I can't, look, I can't go to the gym, and, and this is what's funny, is that you go, you know, like initially it started becoming this thing where I, I get to relax and I just lift weights, nobody knows me, and now the more people get to know me, which is fine, it's the same thing that Jesus dealt with, if you have it in you and it starts to get out of you, then people want what you've got, come on now, somebody say amen and out, and so I walk in and, and two hours later I'm walking out without a workout, <laughs> but I got a workout. I got a workout, spiritually speaking. And, a, and as those situations come, here's what, here's what I find. Is that, you know what, people are hungry for it. It's just the way it's packaged. Now, hold your hand up. Now hold your hand, and I want you to just look at your hand. Because it's something physical you can hold up in front of yourself. Now say this, I am a package of God's love of God's revelation, of God's life, of God's light for others to see, for others to experience. So be that light, be that love, be that expression of Christ. Amen. So here's where we're going to go. Crowning someone signifies a setting apart. You crowning someone else signifies to them a setting apart for a particular task or calling. When God crowns you, it's to set you apart, to ordain you for a particular work, task, or calling. Paul tells us to always work to receive crowns. Paul's encouraging us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's why he's telling you beforehand, I'm going to give you crowns for these things. And we're going to look at these crowns in a moment. But you have to recognize that your works are not in vain. Here's what I would say to you. How many work hard to pay your bills for your house? Yeah? How many for your cars? Dental. Medical. Retirement. You see what I'm saying? We work pretty hard for that. How hard are you working to store up treasures in heaven? Now, when I say working hard, you understand that you have a little bit of effort put behind it. It's like, okay, I need to reach that person. I need to share the love of Christ. It takes a little bit of effort. Does it ever take effort for you to forgive somebody? Anybody just like, man, there's no effort in that for me at all. 
you know, somebody slaps me, you know, you know, one cheek or punches me on one cheek, I just turn the other one to them. Easy. Uh, you might, you know, I don't know too many people that are like, bam, it's like, hey, would you hit me on this one too? That just doesn't happen. Now, bam, it's like, it, uh, oh, okay, I got to turn the other cheek because that's what the Bible tells me to do. We might offer it up, but it takes some work for it. Why? We have to overcome the flesh to walk in the spirit. Every single one of us. So Paul tells us to understand that in that sense, our work for God is not in vain. Let's look at the first crown. Crowning. This is called uh, the victor's crown or crown of righteousness. Crowning the defeated with the honor of victory. Jesus crowned us. We were defeated. We're in sin and death. And we were defeated. But he crowns us with honor of victory. So we need to crown others that have been defeated or feel defeated with the honor of victory. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. Say, I beat my body. And make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself uh, will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, now here's what's interesting about that. Uh, that word shame, right? The word shame, I, the reason why most people if you will, don't come into that place of honor and vic- uh, honor and uh, um, um, uh, what was it? glory and honor. The reason they don't come there is because of shame. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, I'll come to Jesus after I've cleaned my life up? How many of you said that? Like, well, when I do this better, then I can come. Well, it's not that way. See, it, it really is that Christ's work, salvation is free. And then what happens, Paul's talking here when he says he beats his body into submission Do you know the word there is mortification? And one of the words for shame is mortification. That I mortify my flesh. I put my flesh under so that my spirit man is given rise. And so I'm going to push the flesh back so the spirit can lead the way. And in that, saints, that's where we find ourselves crowned with victory. In that place of honor. No longer living a defeated life. No longer letting the things of this world uh, dampen or cause our relationship with Christ to be hampered, but rather we find ourselves walking in victory. Amen? Jesus did this with the Gadarean demoniac. Think about that. That guy was defeated. He had no, I mean, what was he going to do? He's running around naked and in tombs, cutting him. Look, cutting is not a new thing. All these kids, I, I cut myself. Well, you know, there's a demonic influence behind that, it's a spirit. The prophets of Baal cut themselves. What was that? Idolatry is what it was. And when we see that, we're a nation that's being overrun with idolatry. And as a result of that, the worshiping of the Baals, what happens is is it becomes a manifestation of that demonic spirit working in our children. And I say that we've got to crown them with honor. We've got to crown them with dignity so that they're not in that place. Something in them is broken. 
And as a result of that brokenness and it not being mended with the love of Christ, they, they, what do they do? They say when they do it, they, 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 uh, they associate with the pain. They relate better. And they give place to the demonic. What did the Gadarean demoniac do? He was cutting himself and he's running around naked and, and here comes Jesus into the land. And what, what does he do? The Gadarean demoniac throws himself at Jesus' feet. And, and the demons speak out of him. Lord, what do we have to do with you? I want the power of Jesus Christ to be so evident in my life that when I get in front of somebody that's dealing with demonic spirits, they start to manifest. Do you understand what I'm saying? That they start to manifest. It's like, I don't want any demons manifesting. We, we have that discerning of spirits that Something happens, we see something going on in that person's life, and then you know what? It's like, hey, can I pray for you? And you cast the demon out. Because you know the Bible says that you've been called to do that, right? You're his workmanship, creating for, created for works in Christ Jesus. That's some of the works you've been created for. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in, in, in Mark uh, chapter 16, I believe verse 15, it says this. It says that you'll... Uh, cast demons that you'll you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and that you will cast demons out that you're gonna that you're gonna actually recognize that and cast a demon out of somebody and i don't know about you but when i uh uh take my trips throughout the marketplace i see a lot of people overrun and oppressed by demonic forces and we got to see that that realm is as real as the one we're in right here and if anything more real because what carries on after this flesh goes off is what's going on there and we got we we've got to get that priority straight and understand we need to crown the defeated with victory because that's exactly what jesus did we know that jesus cast the demons out of that gadarean demoniac and he goes home to his family in a right mind Second one, crowning the dead with the honor of life. Crowning the dead with the honor of life. James 1 and 12, blessed is the man who preserves under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And where the love of Christ is at work in us, if we can help others to recognize that and come into the love of Christ, they too are crowned with life. Jesus did this with the lepers, if you think about it. What kind of life did they have? It's in that, this life and the one to come. See, being saved doesn't mean, well, one day I'm going to have life. No, we're meant to have the Zoe life of God right now. Right here, right now, we're meant to have the life of God working in us. And when you think about the lepers, right, what quality of life did the ten lepers, if you know that, that story, the ten lepers, that, that here they are, um, basically, and in, 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 in Jesus, what he does is, is, is he has this encounter with them, and he, he heals them. Now, here's the value and, and the, uh, if you will, the impact of honor. I want to show you. Jesus crowned them with honor. And if you will, the dignity again that they could be among people because a leper is an outcast, cannot be among the people. And as a result of that, when Jesus heals them, he restores to them the ability 
to go back and be among the people, to go to the temple. And so he crowns them with that glory and that honor and a sense of dignity. And, and here's what happens. Only one of the ten return to Jesus and give honor back to him. And that one, Jesus says this, your faith has made you whole. See, the others were healed, but only the one who returned with that spirit of honor to come back to him and honor him for what he had done in his life, he went away whole. See, whole is different than healed. Whole is, and if you don't know what leprosy does, it eats parts of your body off. And so the rest of them are walking around healed with parts of their body missing, while this one came back and honored Jesus, and as a result, Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Boom, creative miracle, parts growing back immediately right there. He crowned him with life. Amen? Jesus did it for Lazarus as well. Lazarus was dead. They're all weeping over him. He's in there for four days. You know, it goes along the lines of, you know, roll the stone back. Lord, no, he stinketh. And the stone gets rolled back. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And what he did is he crowned Lazarus with life. He, he crowned him with life in this life so that others knew he had power over life. That they would know that he is the one to put their faith and their trust in because he is the only one that resurrects the dead. He's the only one that, that would ever establish for all mankind the firstborn among many, the Bible says, that he was resurrected from the dead and we too like him one day who have placed their faith in him will be resurrected from the dead. The third one, crowning the lost with the honor of rejoicing or crowning the, those in sorrow with the honor of rejoicing. Uh, it's the same thing, in sorrow because they're, they're, they're not saved. This is called the, the crown of salvation or a crown of, of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul's referring to those who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, our crown of rejoicing is the fact that you have placed faith in Jesus Christ. And what we understand in, in that is that if we, if we would wear the soul winner's crown, we would produce a whole lot of rejoicing around us in the lives of other people. 1 Peter 5, uh, excuse me, Jesus did this with Paul. Uh, let's take Paul, for instance. Paul was living in his religion. And, and as a result of it, he was killing Christians, correct? And, and what comes uh, uh, to bear is Paul's on his way to kill some more Christians, and he has an encounter with Christ. And as a result of that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, right, Paul, all of a sudden, his eyes are opened. Paul himself is saved. And as a result of being saved, his rejoicing, if you will, he's coming in rejoicing. But he can't go anywhere where Christians are because they aren't rejoicing when Paul's coming around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Matter of fact, Barnabas is like, hey, I got this guy Saul. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, he's not coming to our meeting, man. They're like, no, 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 he's, he's cool, he's cool. No, he's not cool. He's faking, and I'm telling you, just to get in here and find out we're Christians, he's going to kill us all. Right? And Barnabas vouches for him of the work that God's done in his life. And as a result of that, how many souls did Paul win? 
<laughs> I say that the count is still going. Amen? The count is still going. Four, crowning the believer with the honor of leading. Crowning the believer. Look, it's not enough just to be saved. It's not enough just to live our life for God. We need to see that we all ought to be apt to teach. Every single one of us ought to be versed in the word of God well enough to share the gospel with somebody else, to lead others to Christ. 1 Peter 5.1, the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 1 Peter 5.4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Look, who were the apostles? Jesus did this with the apostles. Who were they? Fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, these are not Bible scholars. These are not people that are going to teach the law. They're not people. These are people that are going to experience Christ. Christ is going to impart to them. And what they're going to do is just follow in his footsteps. They're going to continue to carry out the work that Jesus has begun. And, and so lowly fishermen... And tax collectors. Now look, we got Luke the physician. We got a physician in that count, right? And, and then we have Paul, who is a scholar of the word of God, who was one born out of season. We know he was an apostle. But ultimately, when we look at it, here comes Jesus. And what he does is he picks people out. And they might believe. They might have faith in God. They might have faith in Christ. But what he does is he brings them from that place of just being a believer and he establishes in them some standard of leadership that says, it's not enough for me just to follow God. It, it is vital for me to recognize I am a work that has been created in Christ Jesus for good works in him. To take to others that and, and carry the responsibility of sharing the gospel with others. Can you say amen? Here's the deal. If you're a believer, raise your hand. Most everybody in the room. Now I want you to say this with me. You ready? I'm a believer. So that makes me a leader. That's right. Why? Because if you're a believer, you've been born of the Spirit of God. And I'm standing up here teaching you this morning. But the Bible says this. You have no need that any other man teach you. That doesn't mean teaching isn't important. It is. We learn from each other. Let me say the greatest teacher in your life, the greatest teacher you'll ever have concerning the word of God, the greatest teacher you'll ever have concerning your relationship with God is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I won't leave you without comfort. I will pray to the Father and he will send you the promised Holy Spirit. He will send you the Spirit who will teach you of things yet to come. He'll guide you into all truth. When you start to recognize that in that fellowship with him, that when you sit down with the word of God, you can say, God, I pray right now that your spirit would come. He would inspire me. He would cause your word, Lord, not only to be information, but a revelation, that it would give me vision for my life. That I would know the direction that you want me to go. I would understand your will for my life. Can you say amen? And number five. Crowning the distracted and the disillusioned with the honor of righteousness. The distracted and the disillusioned with the honor of righteousness. Have you ever been distracted? Have you ever been disillusioned? 
I would say that all of us in this room have had moments of distraction and disillusion. But the amazing thing about God is, is that in the midst of that distraction or disillusionment, God comes and what he does is he directs us. Listen to this in 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day, excuse me, that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you know the only thing that distracts us and causes disillusionment in our life are things that are outside the will of God. There's nothing about the will of God in my life that distracts me from his purpose or causes disillusionment in my life. When I find myself in the perfect will of God, my life is at peace. It doesn't mean that, that the world, it doesn't mean things aren't going on, but none of those things, as Paul the Apostle said, none of these things move me. How could Paul say that? I mean, he's in prison. His life is on the line. How can those things not move? Would it move you if your life was on the line or you're in, you know, going to prison for preaching the gospel? I mean, it wasn't like he was in prison for murdering some, well, I guess, you know, that could be argued just a little. <laughs> he was in, the, in prison. Look, he had murdered all these people, if you will. He put them to death. And here he's in prison for preaching the gospel. The same gospel that he went and he did those works for. See, the world will release you from those kind of things right when it comes to kingdom work the world will put you in prison for things that honor god but it's the things that honor god in your life that brings the honor of god in your life brings the righteousness of god and causes it to work in you let me say it works in and through you and people recognize it and you know what they want it that they want when it's the righteousness of God in Christ not self-righteousness amen righteousness of God in Christ working through you will always reach to that person to crown them with honor you think about the woman with the issue of blood you think about the lame man you think about the blind man you think about the centurion and his son you think about the uh, the widow and her dead little boy when you think about all those people, the, the lame man who's by the pool of Bethesda, right? He can't even get in the water himself. He's waiting for an angel to treble the water. When you think about it, they've all lost their dignity. They've lost their hope. And what does Jesus do? He crowns them with honor and glory. <laughs> Proof of that, when the lame man goes dancing into the uh, synagogue, when the blind man's sight is restored, when the Gadarean demoniac goes back to his family, and Jesus actually charges him, don't tell anybody what happened here. Funny thing about that, Jesus deserves all honor and glory, but when he was in human form on this earth, even though he is God, he was the Son, and the Son honored the Father. See, Jesus lived a life of honor at all times. Never turned away from it. And even in the midst of the, the, the power of God all working through him, he stayed in a, in a right alignment as the human being. He was all man, but he was all God. 
And he stayed in right alignment as, that, as being human by returning honor and glory to God, not taking it to himself. You know, the greatest way we tend to, as human beings, take honor and glory is by picking our life up and doing it the way we want it, our will over God's will. To say, I'm going to do this and, and not look to God to be the guide for our life is the greatest, you know, the thumbing of the nose. God, I got this. I don't need you to do this in my life. I don't need you to do that. But would you do this? We pick and choose. And I say that God deserves to be honored at a level that doesn't pick and choose, that doesn't tear a page out of the Bible but keep this page. But rather, we take the word of God, his whole counsel, and allow it to guide us in life. Can you say amen, saints? Stand to your feet with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that, that over this next week, that each of us, Lord, would just take this outline and, and study those scriptures out. Father, the, the things that we might have wrote down or thought about in that moment about our priorities. I pray, God, that we would filter them through your word. We would reflect upon what you are asking us. God, what, what you're desiring from us in the coming year. Not that just the coming year is important, but it's what's in front of us. And that, God, we would look for your guidance and your counsel so that each step is sure. That our steps are being ordered by you because we are submitted to your will in our life. And I pray, Father, above all things, that this precious gift that we have called salvation, we would not keep it to ourselves. That, God, the honor and the glory and the dignity that you've given to each one of us, we wouldn't keep to ourselves. But Father, we would find those in our lives that, Father, are in search of it, that God are in need of it, and Lord, we would share it with them. That, Father, the works that we do, that, Father, we would recognize them as being the reason we were created, and God, that those works also, they have a, a, war, a reward in our life. And that God, even in receiving that reward, it doesn't compare to the love and the relationship we have with you. And that's why we'll even cast those crowns at your feet in the moment you give them to us. It's because that's how great, that's how good, and that's how high God you are. We love you. We pray you work these principles in our life and that God, that you would inspire us by your spirit. It wouldn't be just a list, a checklist, Lord God, to, to check mark those things. I did that, I did that. Not that kind of work. But God, realizing those principles are at work in our life, we're submitted to them. And that anytime the Holy Spirit wants to come and set down on us, concerning someone else and inspire us by your word. And Father, in that moment, we know that it will be life to those that we touch. So Father, we pray all those things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.